Here's some news. TechCrunch is a new sponsor of the Atonicast. Want to discover the latest news from Waymo, Jump Bikes, and Scoop? These companies will be speaking at TechCrunch's first ever mobility conference on July 10th in San Jose, California. You'll enjoy hands-on demos, workshops, and plenty of networking opportunities. Visit TechCrunch.com slash mobility to buy your tickets and save 10% with promo code AUTO. That's A-U-T-O. Hello and welcome to the Atonicast. I'm Ed Niedermeyer. I'm joined, as always, by my wonderful co-hosts, Ms. Kirsten Korosek. Kirsten, hello. Hello. And Mr. Alex Roy. Good thing Kirsten is here. It's a good thing we're all here um, because we are here in Detroit, actually, um, at the AutoSense conference um, with uh, one of the main sponsors of the of the conference, Siemens, uh, who we thank for uh, for helping us be here um, and uh, listening on on some of the really interesting uh, conversations that are going on here. And um, we're actually here with uh, three people who were just on stage, uh, like literally just on stage, um, in a fireside conversation, fireside chat. Is that? Fireside chat. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, fireside chat, and then also uh, one that preempted that. So there was a little presentation prior to that, and then fireside chat, and we talked about AVs and cities and challenges and what's to come. I liked my first question, but yeah, I like the fact that this is not like a BS conference, like some other conferences I've been dragged to, but a ton of cast declined to attend, except for the part about there is a mention here that we're going to talk about flying cars and that doesn't make me happy, but let's, let's stay on track here. Let's stay on. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I, Kirsten, uh, like I said, just got off stage, uh, with several of our guests and, um, I'm going to have them go down uh, and introduce themselves. Uh, welcome to the Atonicast. Okay. Then let me start. Hello everyone. Marcus Wells. I'm the CEO of Siemens intelligent traffic systems and also the president and CEO of bite marking a company, which is affiliated to Siemens mobility. Ed Bernardin, uh, also from Siemens, work closely with Marcus. Uh, my group is more in the area of engineering software uh, and design software for, for cars and, and manufacturing, that type of thing. And, and my particular group is actually uh, works in the area of special engineering software. I'm Ed Olson. I'm the CEO of May Mobility. We build and deploy autonomous shuttles in urban environments. I just realized we somehow have three Eds on this show. This this is a a first. This is a first. Okay. (laughs) Now that we've dealt with that, please. Oh, I was going to, I was going to say you did such a good job moderating the discussion. Do you want to do it all over? Do you, because otherwise I'll just, I'll just kick it off with uh, what I thought was a really excellent sort of way to start. Yeah. So, so Kirsten uh, opened her panel discussion. Um, and, uh, don't worry, we won't just repeat everything (laughs) that that we just heard, but, um, it's a good place to start because there's a lot of different we have a lot of different kinds of expertise here in terms of you know, intelligent cities and and you know uh, shuttles and and manufacturing all kinds of things. So um, let's start off with just sort of tackling this issue of like you know kind of the the question that has always been asked about autonomous vehicles, but has been sort of become a little bit more pressing or or be, maybe even interesting uh, lately because of this sort of. Uh, a trough of disillusionment or whatever you want to call it around, around autonomous vehicles. Um, and which is, you know, I think what you're referring to is the very large amount of money that companies are spending yeah. in addition to technical challenges. Right. So, so we're seeing the, a lot of money being spent, uh, a lot of predictions about these things being right around the corner and yet they're not here. Um, and, uh, 
we continue to have huge disconnects between some predictions and other predictions. So I just like to get sort of where, where you guys each um, stand on, on sort of the timeline and, and where things, where things are coming. Yeah. Maybe to start, um, we always take the, pos uh, the a position from a city and road infrastructure and mobility operator point of view. And I think um, from that angle, it isn't actually that much of important on when autonomous vehicle hit the road, but how they are going to be deployed um, because thousands of self-driving vehicles are still thousands of vehicles and a traffic jam with no human driver is still a traffic jam. So rather than thinking one for one and replacing self-driving vehicles with uh, um, humanly driven cars, um, I think the big opportunity for this technology, if it can be used to um, solve first and last mile problems, as an example, um, which can enable public transit systems to be have a higher impact and more ef effective. And one of the biggest challenge of these public transit systems in cities is giving access to as many people as possible. And uh, with a self-driving um, um, on-demand shuttle, we could give options to commuters, visitors to go from A to Z rather than from A to B. Uh, I think... Yeah, that's a question that comes up a lot. Like, when, when are Thomas cars going to be, I don't know, available? Or whatever. And, but, but what does that really mean? Does it, like, does it mean 5% of cars are autonomous or 10 or 15 or 20 or 30? Does it mean that they work in a sunny day in Arizona with perfect white lines and also that, that big snowstorm in Boston? Um, I don't know. I don't, I, or... Autonomous cars under 25 miles per hour in a gated community uh, doing, you know, picking people up and taking them to the grocery and that's it. Uh, I don't. Uh, it, so first got to define what that really means. And it's like Marcus says, they're probably going to creep in little by little in these different applications, the easiest ones first. Right. And, and that's already happening, right, Ed, Ed Olson? Yeah. You know, I think one of the most interesting things about the AV space is that most people are building an autonomous version of what they're familiar with which is a car or a taxi. And that that's where I'm quite bearish about where the technology is and how long it's going to take for us to get there. Uh, but at the other end of the market, there are different kinds of things that we can build with autonomous driving that can have a huge impact, like Marcus was talking about, in urban transportation that don't require us to solve every problem that you would need in a robo-taxi that can go anywhere, everywhere. And of course, that's that's what we do. Right. So that was... A <laughs> that was a little bit of a, of a trick question. Um, like I think the, the very first interview I ever did about autonomous cars, um, I was sort of thinking about writing a book about it, which I'm really glad I didn't because so much has happened since then. I would, I would look like an idiot. Because a book about Tesla is not a book about autonomous cars, right, Ed? <laughs> Right, right. Um, but the but the literally the first question of the first interview I ever asked was, you know, when are autonomous cars going to be here? And the guy I was spoke I spoke to, uh, Doctor Sven Biker, who was at Stanford at the time, he said the question is not when but where. Um, and and I think that's essentially kind of the answer that each one of you gave to a certain extent. So so I, I'm going to ask that question explicitly. Then you know where is and let's start with Ed Olson because you know you you have autonomous vehicles on the road. So so where are those places um, that you have autonomous shuttles operating now, and what is it about those specific spaces um, that allows you to deploy there now? Yeah, I think it's an intersection of need and technology. 
So I don't think sleepy suburbs or actually retirement communities are going to be great places because uh, they don't have the the acute need that other places do. So the real... Ch- Go ahead. Yeah. I'll let you finish. <laughs> well, no, I'll ask, but... I, um, my perspective of that isn't so much that there isn't a need. There probably is a great need, but how will it work once they pull a human safety driver out? Because when I see the interaction and I think that the reference is voyage, which is what is doing that. And it's a question I asked Oliver Cameron on the show, which was these seniors seem to enjoy the human interaction of the human safety driver. What happens when you pull that person out? Or do you keep them in, but they serve a different function? Is that still then clearly defined as an autonomous vehicle company, even if there is a, a need or a demand? So there's a lot of human factors thing in there. And, and, and to clarify what I mean by need, I'm certainly not implying that seniors don't have trouble getting around. They absolutely do. What I mean is, where is the application of autonomous technology the key enabler to do something different and better than we can do today? And so, you know, in a lot of those environments, if an, if the traditional Uber or taxi service gets the job done, then you kind of scratch your head and, and want to ask, why would a more expensive autonomous vehicle be a better solution? And so when we think about where autonomous vehicles going to first have a huge impact, it's where there's, there's an acute problem where the technology itself is part of the solution and not just sort of uh, icing on top of something else. And, of course, where the technology demands on that vehicle are something that's tractable today. So for us, that means downtown urban districts, places where there are serious transportation problems, but where the transportation, the technology challenges are modest, 25 miles per hour. There's lots of roads in a city where 25 miles per hour is completely adequate, and we can serve those acute needs. So I asked this on stage, and I'll ask it again, though, that seems like it could be great. But also I think of all these other things that could occur prior to autonomous vehicles that would solve a lot of the mobility problems that we have today, like traffic congestion. So traffic lights that are synchronized, like other things that seem in a way more simple than launching an autonomous vehicle, um, but yet aren't happening, aren't happening very fast. So why not just throw all the effort into those issues first. It's not enough. So the fundamental problem with most cities know that if, if people adopted mass transit, they would be able to handle the traffic volumes that they have, that congestion would go down, but people don't use mass transit. And the reason is that the wait times are too high. It's not a pleasant experience. Now the pleasant experience, we could have great drivers in the vehicle providing a, you know, beautiful vehicle, uh, But the wait time is something that fundamentally can be driven best by autonomous vehicles. You just can't reduce the average wait time for a bus by putting 10 more drivers on the road. There aren't enough drivers to do that. And that's where autonomous technology is the fundamental enabler. It allows you to reduce the average wait time for transportation services, which is going to drive adoption of those transportation services in the first place. That's that's what I mean by like that key enabler. Where's the pain point that you're really solving? We we know that people don't actually care after a brief honeymoon period about the fact that the cars are self-driving. The fact that someone is driving is not the pain point that people struggle with. It's the fact that getting around is awful. And and the solution for that stems from autonomous driving. But I think your point's a good one is, well, what's the problem you're trying to solve? 
autonomous cars is one of the tools you can pull out of the bag or connected vehicles or whatever it might be. So I don't know. I, I would think that if you have that gated community with, you know, uh, retirees or whatever it might be, it's, you know, it's three miles by three miles and, and 50% can't drive or whatever. Maybe autonomous car could work there. Maybe like you said, you keep a person in there to talk to them. It's, it's a different kind of service, but maybe in a congested area, Maybe something like the green wave connected lights or, or managing the traffic in a different way or changing the directions that the lanes go, depending on what day it is. Use those simple things first and, and maybe a more expensive technology like autonomous cars can be used to plug what holes are left. But figuring out what those holes are or which of the tricks you got in the bag that you want to apply, how do you do that as efficiently as possible? That's that's a big challenge. Yeah, maybe just to add again a little bit from a cities and um, people transportation perspective. I mean, there is certainly a revolution in mobility. I live in Austin, Texas. And when I moved there four years back, there was no scooter. If you now happen to be in downtown, um, you see scooters all over downtown Osilka Park. And you ask the question on why are cities or mobility providers not just rolling out different type of solutions? And I would say they are. It's a very incremental process of how different types of multimodal applications, bike share, car share, ride hailing are being rolled out, especially if they are driven by agencies or communities. And I think a big um, positive element for autonomous vehicles is that they enable these type of um, on-demand shuttle services because a big challenge for transit agencies who want to serve a complete city and community is providing um, also access to those people who maybe live a bit in the suburbs and which is from a financial operation perspective not feasible to run a bus line, not even talking about a mass transit system. And uh, um, an autonomous shuttle is certainly more cost-efficient than traditional services. And this is why, let's say, self-driving cars could act an enabler. But I would even be more um, um, determined in, yeah, I don't know whether the robot as a driver serves the problem. What people care is, is to get around quickly and conveniently um, in their city, in their environment, um, whether a robot is driving it or whether a, um, a human uh, driver is behind the wheel. At the end of the day, re the reason why people step into their car and drive is because they don't have an option. And if they would get an option, um, I think there is a possibility for alternative modes of transportation as well. The uh, fireside chat opened with a question of who or um, what's taking so long, Kirsten asked. Where did this narrative begin years in you know years ago it's self-driving cars around the corner like i we always talk about the media being just very foolish and just parroting these talking points but where did this start like at an executive level like on like a corporate level and who fed it because i know you ed we've talked to you before you gentlemen seem quite reasonable i listened to you on stage clearly someone was walking in the door and trying to source hardware and software thinking that stuff was going to deploy level four and five was going to happen this year or last year. So where did this start? Who fed it? 
He wants names. If you don't want to name names, you can just say a certain fine gentleman I met who leads a major OEM told his investors this was going to happen. Then he called us and said, where's the stuff? But no, but what ha- where did this come from? Bigfoot started somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it started with a genuine sense of optimism and aggressiveness about how the technology was going to roll out. And that led to a lot of bold, bold claims about when the technology was going to be there and a lot of investment uh, basically making the bet that that was right. Uh, I think you can add to that a lot of very well-funded companies that are trying to race and position themselves as the leaders in the space. And then you, you have a problem where it's, there's sort of a positive feedback between different companies that are trying to compete based on their PR and their, their prognostications about where their technology is going to be and what, where they're going to be in the next year. Uh, and I think we are now seeing the, the fruits of that process play out. Uh, but I think at the same time, you know, CES, I think the theme at CES this year was that, whoa, maybe that's not actually true. And people are kind of backing off and starting to believe that maybe, maybe a, some cold water is warranted. So suddenly people were talking about ADAS again. Instead of, you know, level four autonomy, which I think is, was a tipping point. I mean, I saw the change or the root of it happening in 2016 when GM acquired Cruise. All of a sudden things accelerated. They might've already been that wave of optimism might've already been, have already started, but all of a sudden there was a lot of money to be made. Um, and then lesser capitalized companies, uh, were all of a sudden, you know, potential acquisition targets. And so that might've fueled that as well. Do you have a theory, Alex? What you describe as optimism, I describe, I would call, um, valuation boosting (laughs) for the purposes of getting out while the next round of investors takes the risk which is what we've seen in many other IPOs and other parts of the sector in recent days. But, you know, I've been called a skeptic about self-driving. I now work for a self-driving car company. I believe I know what's possible on a reasonable timeline, but it's hard to look at, I mean, you're sitting here at the table. It's hard to imagine that it was anything else than a cynical ploy by some of these people raising money hoping that valuations would stay high enough, long enough that they could vest before the truth came out. But the truth is here now. People will still buy tulips at insane prices if, they are, if they're convinced that someone else will buy, buy their tulips down the road. That's the tweet about this episode. <laughs> but, but it seems like part of this, like, this, this phenomenon gets back to sort of what we were talking about, about the when and the where and, and sort of um, about identifying places in, in cities, right? I think the perception was for a long time that, um, you know, all of a sudden there will be a, like the, the technology will be ready and like our 17 million cars a year will all, all of a sudden be autonomous. And, you know, it'll just flip from that. Like, like you were saying, Mark is that one-to-one sort of thing. And, and I think what all of you guys seem to agree on, and, and maybe this is sort of where the consensus is heading is that this is actually something that's more of a product for cities, um, and we, all of these, you know, and, and we see this with scooters, um, with ride hailing, you know, cities becoming more and more involved in it. Um, and Marcus, so you, you, you work with cities a lot. And I think for me, the biggest question is, are cities even equipped to, with enough data to understand sort of where 
those opportunities for Annette Olson and May Mobility to come in and fix a problem? Do they even have enough data to understand the problems to then you know, go to these techn- um, um, mobility technology companies and, and get the solutions that they have? I think it's not necessarily a question on whether the cities have enough data or whether they um, have an understanding on how to apply those technologies. I think we have to consider also a very basic fact that the core task of a city is to provide most effective mobility solutions and safety, whether this is in individual transport or public transport. So what a city will always look for is on how um, to improve urban mobility on a massive scale um, and how an ecosystem of individual and public transit will be most effective in that particular topology of a city. So there, the, the thing is that in a city, there is not a one type fits all solution. Every city will have slightly different needs, will have slightly different applications of a technology like a, um, a self-driving vehicle. And it absolutely need to be safe. Just imagine at the city who is responsible to increase safety by just, for instance, deploying traffic signals, something what we have done for the last 100 years is now operating a self-driving vehicle shuttle. The city needs to be absolutely sure that the maximum safety can be applied for that service. And uh, so, and I think cities also taking incremental steps on doing that, just talking about connected vehicle technology. So with connected uh, vehicle technology is not the safe haven for uh, self-driving vehicles, but it certainly can increase safety um, for um, road transportation on a massive scale. By the way, independent of whether there is a robot driving the car or, or a human driving the car, because ultimately um, we can um, predict some of the collisions um, uh, before they happen and avoid accident from happening by just giving a warning if a pedestrian is stepping into the intended path. So this is a technology which is also just being rolled out in cities. Cities don't have the funding to just do a massive infrastructure investment. Um, it will come incrementally. I have a question for for both of you, actually. Um, when you... When you're talking with folks over at Siemens, what is the tech that is most interesting um, from the company's perspective, maybe one that you're most interested in investing in or that you already have invested in that has the most pro- promise looking beyond autonomous vehicles, but really kind of taking more of a city perspective. Um, is it, you know, something as simple as se- some sensors or is there some other things? Because what was the figure that you gave me? I think earlier, how many, uh, billions of dollars worth of acquisitions has Siemens done? I think what was that? Well, you know, I think it's important to tie this question with the previous one, right? Because in the end, for your business to survive, you gotta you gotta provide value to your customers, right? And this hype you were talking about before, this hype on autonomous cars, and it and in part, right? You, you gotta jump in to to raise the valuation of your company or or whatever it might be. But the same hype affects cities. Oh we got to start testing autonomous cars. There's cities all over testing autonomous cars. we got, we got to start testing them ourselves. And I think Boston started testing autonomous cars, I don't know, it was two, three years ago. And I remember uh, starting to talk to some of the autonomous car companies and say, hey, what about connected vehicle technology? Wouldn't it make your car more reliable? Right. Because you can, you know, it can anticipate that there's going to be pedestrians crossing the road or you can see around corners. Yeah, but we're not so interested. This is several years ago. We're not so interested because we don't know that the cities are going to invest in that. And if we don't know that they're going to have connected vehicle technology, we can't 
rely on that. So we got to make sure our algorithms and everything are going to make safe. Well, so that's two, three years ago. And it was just this week in Boston. I saw it on, you know, just came out a couple of days ago. We are going to, we're going to improve the timing of our traffic lights, adaptive uh, traffic light control. And that technology has been around for a long time. Two years ago, they're talking about autonomous cars. And now in the news is timing your lights so you can have a whole bunch of green lights in a row. And so what does, that's a technology that's been around for a while. It would be great. Let's make things as efficient with the hardware and things we have on the road first. Let's try and do that. And then, I don't know, what, what's the next technology? Maybe it's, a, it's an autonomous vehicle technology. Maybe it's, you know, something else that, that, that Siemens has or, or, or a partner or whatever. And again, in their bag of tricks, you can apply. But how do you find the right one to do? What's the right combination of these? That's probably the hardest thing to figure out. But what's the one or few right now that Siemens sees the most promising? And maybe it has been a... a, a technology that's been around for a while, but the timing is right. I mean, what is your perspective? Maybe, I mean, it's also probably safe to say that there is not the one answer for overall Siemens as a corporation, just because Siemens is um, tackling mobility from different angles. We we have Digital Factory, PLM Software, Mentor Graphics, who are supporting the automotive industry with, let's say, design, manufacturing, validation and testing as one example. And we have the mobility, Siemens mobility as uh, where the focus is on optimizing road and rail and intermodal transportation. From a Siemens mobility um, perspective, um, one of our vision or our vision is, is in particular to the road mobility is that we um, creating a mobility operating system for smart cities based on data-driven digital traffic and fleet management. So this is a very general vision, but what it ultimately means is that we want to um, um, improve the throughput in cities because the answer to more cars cannot be built more roads. So we need to consume the infrastructure more efficiently. And this is what Edge is talking about, about adaptive traffic signals. On the other hand, we want to um, provide um, uh, technology for cities to manage a diverse fleet of publicly and privately owned fleets, such as ride-hailing scooters, own transit vehicle into one system and then enable multimodal transportation by adding let's say those various datas into one platform, feeding it into a smartphone app and then enable the actual commuter to plan a trip, book a trip and pay a trip. So what are the underlying technologies which enable that? Because it's not that we look at a technology and say we bank on AI and on AI only. We come from, let's say, what are the application? What is solving the needs of our clients and from an operational model? And I think it's safe to say that multimodal solution is a key element. Siemens has already invested in companies like Harkon, Bitemark, where we are enabling multimodal trip planning, common payment system, where in a mobility as a service application, we can integrate those various elements and have one single payment, as an example. Um, and uh, we are applying technologies such as AI in, uh, in various components of our business as well in order to... Um, to reach the next level of um, um, of efficiency, really. I'm sorry, I had to bring this up. Flying cars. <laughs> you actually have flying cars mentioned in the description in several places in this event's topics. You seem again like reasonable people, Ed. I know you. <laughs> 
we've spoken Hervelts. <laughs> Has anyone actually shown up to a meeting from a, an investor, a company and said, we're working on flying cars. We need you to supply X, Y, and Z solutions for us. Do you have any clients actually working on this that you can have a meeting with without laughing? No, I think there are elements. It's not that this is exactly the business I'm in, so I can't speak with a lot of intelligence, but the e-aircraft business in Siemens has a lot of, probably more on the pilot uh, uh, stage. But uh, I I mean, sometimes I think you also need to take a leap of faith, generally speaking, right? If uh, when we started investing in connected vehicle technology 10 years back, Probably most of the people have said it won't never, it will never happen because you need to add something to the infrastructure. Cities don't have money for that. And uh, so sometimes you also need to take a leap of faith and let's say invest in those type of new technologies in order to be prepared. Uh? Well, while we've been talking, I've been looking up your company, Bitemark, which I understand Siemens invested in, which appears to be a, basically a Moss booking app. Am I correct? Yeah. Are there any flying car companies in negotiations with you to we be have on this not, booking app? We have not yet integrated a flying car into our multimodal transportation and common payment system. Well, I live in New York, but, so I uh, see that New York Waterways <laughs> is one of the right. is on the platforms. That fascinates me. Uh-huh. So, uh, multiple Moss apps in the same market exist. I mean, in theory, will exist if they yeah. don't already exist. So, how do you, how does how does one prevent well? walled gardens from existing in the real world, but walled app gardens. <laughs> I mean, how, how otherwise people will live in kind of these weird, like the, you live in the Amazon prime of transportation in which there's just things you can't buy. There's yeah. just modes you cannot access. What is bite marks approach here? Yeah. I mean, f- first I think there is a very um, grounded part, which is just mobile ticketing, right? Which obviously you need an app, a front end, where any commuter can just uh, buy a ticket via a mobile app or via the web uh, web service or whatever, uh? and uh, um, and this has a very high efficiency rather than to have ticket vending machines um, cost a lot of money, need a lot of maintenance. You can do that in a mobile fashion, and then you can expand. Um, both from the payment processing side, but not only doing payment for transit, but maybe including payment for other modes like a ferry, maybe like a scooter, bike sharing, car sharing. And then you can go broader in terms of, um, is it only the payment piece or is it a trip planning piece? And I think- I understand where you're going. I have to, because I have to interrupt you. So right now, Uber claims that there'll be the Amazon of transportation. How do, how can you or your peer companies prevent me from having to have Uber and Lyft and four Moss apps and Bitemark all on my phone? Because for me, I'm back to square one. No, I hear you. And I think from our approach, our apps are at the end of the day done for transit agencies or mass applications implemented by cities. So we are a company who are helping cities or a transit agency like a New York City waterway, um, a King County Metro in Seattle, uh, Metro in Austin, Metro in Houston to give another option um, for their riders to pay their system. So it is not an app which we deploy and go out like a B2C. It's like enabling, again, transit agencies and cities to um, step into the new world of mobility. Can you name a city that's really nailed this, like really forward thinking? 
and invested and deployed in a solution that's working? I give you an example, um, um, one which is, let's say, a very bold example, not in the United States, and then I give you examples how we do it here. Right? Now it's actually Dubai. Uh, just oh. because, yeah, no, I think the big difference is that they have one large transit authority, the RTA road, so they own the rail, the bus, um, and all the transportation means in the city. So, um, what we have done is providing a mobility as a service solution where we're integrating not only those services from the RTA, but also taxis, ride uh, hailing, bike sharing, whatever, and then feed it in such an app where people can do that in the multimodal way. So why it is easy? Because you have one giant agency, right? If we go into our average cities, whether this is Europe or United States, you don't have that. You have a transit agency, you have a city department, um, and messy, democratic, uh, complicated, or they, <laughs> and like, yeah. So, so usually, yes. how it's being rolled out, mm -hmm. and now I give you Austin as an example, um, um, where uh, the agencies start with, for instance, one element: communism. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Ticketing. Yes. <laughs> it's maybe a little bit of sense. And then they build on that, right? Mm -hmm. So this is not you have this one approach, one giant project, change everything. Now it is. Uh, taking step by step. Uh, and I think the challenge is also, I mean, um, um, getting from the uh, public sector, then the integration of, for instance, an Uber and a Lyft, because yes, there are um, different uh, approaches in those type of companies for good reasons. They won't have their own app. It's not that much of a focus for them to integrate in a city app, right? Which could give even more benefits. Um, but the cities own the streets. Right. Why can't they say, if you want to operate on our streets, you have to use my app, you have to share the data because I, I, my customers, my citizens want to take a, 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 an Uber ride and then they want to jump on the uh, on the subway and then they want to take a scooter. And this app will, will handle all those you want to operate here. You have to use my city app and whoever supplies that. Why can't that happen? Yeah, I think what is um, um, because I think cities just can't really control the private sector, whether this is bringing scooters on the road or let's say offering ride healing services. I don't think that's probably this, but curbside management as a small element of how to manage curbside in a city, because a problem of the ride healing service or even the scooters is that city streets, as you said, they own the city streets and hmm. city streets are getting repurposed, right? So why not, let's say, um, deploying a system and not only a technology, also from a legislation perspective on how curbside can be used. And for instance, if a ride-hailing company want to serve downtown Austin, they should also go all the way up north to Round Rock, where there is maybe underserved, right? And uh, and with those type of incentives, limitations, um, this could be quite impactful to to um, um, yeah to change some of the behaviors. Think about an airport. Um, in airport, an airport is a micro. Cosmos, right? They have rules or they establish rules on where to pick up people, where to drop off people, how to get maybe to uh, public transit. And if cities would be able to establish those type of mechanisms, then this could be part of a solution to that. Topic. Is that um, so at Olson to bring autonomous vehicles into the here? Is curbside management going to be the lens? in which, or the, the way in which autonomous shuttles or robotaxis find the most regulation or that 
cities are able to exert the most power? Or is it going to be some other regulation like operating domain, something like that? Is what's going to be that regulatory pinch point, I guess, um, is my question for AV shuttles or even free floating robo taxis? Yeah, I think we have seen that cities have more power than maybe was believed a few years ago in terms of regulating their streets, kicking vendors out. Uh, you know, take a look at the scooter wars, for example, or some of the adventures that the TNCs have had. Uh, and I think uh, that that's actually a good thing. I think cities are forward looking and trying to understand how to uh, really improve the transportation for all the people that live there. And if if adding a bunch of TNC cars to your downtown business district exacerbates congestion, then the cities should step in and do something about it. So I think that's the stick side of the cities. Uh, there's also a carrot side of the cities. The cities know their transportation problems really well. They're the ones that have access to the infrastructure. Uh, they know wh- who the, the stakeholders are. And working, partnering with the cities can bring a lot of advantages to, to the companies that, that are willing to go that route. So, I mean, this kind of touches on something uh, we talked a little bit about sort of hype and, and let down some of these other things, but but really actually unintended consequences is one of the other things that we've seen um, sort of in this era of new mobility technology. We've seen Uber and Lyft promise to lower congestion, actually exacerbate it. Um, what like what tools are out there? I'm curious, Ed, in, in the case of May, like, you know, how do you guys measure, um, you know, when potentially you guys might be having a, a, an effect that you didn't anticipate? Um, and then maybe, Marcus, if we can get to like sort of how cities can measure this stuff and, and how we can get better at, at, at understanding when we're starting to see those unanticipated um, consequences, um, because that's right, kind of the story of how we got to this situation. Nobody expected cars to create all the problems they've created. So let's, yeah, how, how are we being smarter this time around? Right. You know, our, our vision in the long term is that we'll be able to provide transportation services that are so convenient and so pleasant to use that people will actually use them and stop bringing their cars into downtown business districts. But that system doesn't exist today. And so the reason that we're working with cities and the kinds of launches that we're doing right now are there for us to learn, but also for the cities to learn what are the effects going to be. Are there unanticipated side effects? Uh, Can we really change behaviors of riders? And, you know, the good news is that we've actually gotten data that shows that we are changing behaviors and ridership behaviors of the people in downtown Detroit. That's really exciting for our customers to see that you provide the level of service that's really high, people will start using it. Uh, we, we just have a lot more work to do. And the cities, as we expand out, all have their own questions about how what we do can fit into their problems. Yeah. And again, I think the f- for Cities are also, I mean, technologies which we provide for cities. At the end of the day, the KPI is what matters. Can you reduce travel time? Can you increase safety? Can you reduce or uh, um, um, accidents? Um, these are the elements um, which are certainly important. Transit ridership is a fundamental part of, let's say, a working city and a, a, a true um, accessible uh, transportation system. And again, I think the... The cities are different, so every there are elements like Vision Zero, where cities strive to um, have zero accidents and um, CO two emissions savings. Where 
different technologies come into play. So I think it's, I would not necessarily point to the holy gray of tra transportation in a city. I think it really depends. I think the, 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 the key topic is being flexible, being interoperable, being able to scale, but also uh, able to adapt because in those environments, you will not, never have this one solution, which you deploy in this exact same fashion millions of times you will always have to integrate with existing infrastructure with legacy transportation systems in for instance in tampa where there is um, one of the most advanced connected vehicle implementations um, uh, on earth uh, there is a very old traditional trolley car in uh, and it's good right and it's and how do we equip that uh, um, uh, vehicle this uh, rolling this piece of rolling stock that we give uh, um, the benefits, like giving a warning to that vehicle if a pedestrian is stepping into it. These are elements which you always need to figure out individually at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, well, it seems a little bit like sort of what, we've, what we come to is that, you know, yeah, there are technical challenges with, with autonomous vehicles or with any of these mobility technologies, but a lot of it is just the fact that mobility is in a lot of ways infrastructure, right? I mean, the ability to get around a city is not just tied to physical infrastructure, but in a way it is infrastructure, right? And, and that always is something that takes time to change. Kind of like looking at it from the car industry side, right? Like changing factories um, over is just something that takes time. Even if you have the technology tomorrow, right? These things just take time to, to change. Here's some news. TechCrunch is a new sponsor of the Atonicast. Want to discover the latest news from Waymo, Jump Bikes, and Scoop? These companies will be speaking at TechCrunch's first ever mobility conference on July 10th in San Jose, California. You'll enjoy hands-on demos, workshops, and plenty of networking opportunities. Visit techcrunch.com slash mobility to buy your tickets and save 10% with promo code AUTO. That's A-U-T-O. We're, we're just about out of time, but um, thank you so much, uh, all of you, for, for this really interesting conversation. Um, I'd like to go around really quick and just let us know um, or let, let our listeners know sort of where they can maybe follow you on social media or if there's a website or, or anything like that that you'd like to, to uh, give a shout out to. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, just uh, – I mean – uh, we, we have websites, I mean, whether it's the Siemens or also our companies like ByteMark. I mean, don't miss our affiliated companies. There, there is a lot of magic happening as well. Um, and uh, you can follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and uh, there is always room for innovation in the mobility space, which we are sharing daily. And, you know, Mark has covered it. We also have a future car podcast that uh, might be interesting for, for the people out there to take a look at where we look at uh, a lot of the technologies within Siemens and elsewhere and and see how those technologies are being applied. And that's on iTunes and, and Google Play. And it's called the Future Car Podcast. Uh, I'm at Edwin Olson on Twitter. And when 280 characters isn't enough, I write on Medium as well. Uh, but the best way to get to know what we do is to come and ride our vehicles. We are the only AV company that you can just go and ride today without a, an NDA or a liability waiver. Columbus, Ohio, Providence, Rhode Island, uh, come and ride our vehicles. See what it's about. Can you ride a vehicle without protesters coming to say that automation is bad? Everybody is welcome. I'm sorry, Ed, I had to. I, you know, I just had to do it. You know, I'm a supporter of what you're doing, so we're good. Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, I did ride the uh, shuttle, and there were no protesters. 
no one who showed up with hashtag people before robots on that ride? <laughs> You're probably disappointed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, there was nothing. I almost think that you set that up. In order to just make the case for why you're the good guys in in autonomous shuttles. We do believe we're the good guys. (laughs) He's so well media trained. Is this Ed? He's off the chart. (laughs) All right. Thanks so much, you guys, for joining us. And um, great. That's a wrap. Thank you. 